So this Welcome evening, to I want to today with, with Kevin and Chantel Davis, a podcast where you will learn how to and discover morning, your calling, you that I was live your purpose, and fulfill your destiny. By listening to these episodes, you'll build the confidence you need Abraham to operate in dominion and authority so you can walk in the revelation of victory that belongs to you in Christ Jesus. Now, here's your host, Kevin Davis. So when we say pre-incarnate, that means Jesus Christ walking in the flesh, on this earth, before he was born in Bethlehem. I explained to you this morning that there are those who would refute that to say that it is impossible, yet just by the scriptures itself from this morning, it is very clear that there is no doubt that when we read of these examples, types, and shadows from the Old Testament, it all points to the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. So in Genesis, you can just make a note of this, chapter 14. I'm not going to read this tonight. That's a message in itself because it's so rich of content and material and revelation. But in short, Genesis 14 deals with Jesus meeting with Abraham for the first time. You say, how is that possible? Well, there is a figure that many refer to as an elusive figure, and that is the person by the name of Melchizedek. And I do not have the time, as I said now, to really unpack all of that to you. But here is a person, a man, who the Bible clearly states has no father and has no mother. That means he is not born. (laughs) Which makes sense from the perspective of a pre-incarnate Jesus. Here is a man who is referred to as both a king and a priest. Something which did not exist. And keep in mind that this encounter with Melchizedek was even before the law. Before there even was a high priest, and the first high priest being Aaron. So before there was Aaron, before there was the Levitical priests, before there was the law, Abraham had this supernatural encounter with Melchizedek. An elusive figure who has no father, who has no mother, yet he is referred to as both a king and a priest. And then we have another encounter that Abraham has with Jesus in Genesis 17 verse 1. It says this, I'm going to read this to you. Genesis 17 verse 1. And when Abraham was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram. You can underline that or highlight that in your Bible. Where it says the Lord appeared to Abram. And said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. We can say then that that was his second encounter. His second meeting with Jesus. The Lord appeared to him. The Lord showed himself. And then in Genesis 18, just the next chapter. And this is really what I want to deal with tonight is this incredible encounter that Abraham has. And now it happens for the third time. Under the trees of Mamre, which is so incredible 
It says in verse 1, I'm going to read from the New King James, Genesis 18, verse 1 to 5. It says, Then the Lord appeared to him. Can you see it's the same wording? The exact same wording as was used in just the previous chapter. The Lord appeared to him. The reason why I'm really just highlighting this and making it so plain is because there are certain Christians who would listen to this or watch this even right now and then they would say, you know, well, appear doesn't actually mean appear. It means appear. It means standing in front of. Some Christians want to be so overly super spiritual. Then the Lord appeared to him by the trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent in the heat of the day. Now, what does that remind you of? Remember this morning when I shared with you what happened in the book of Genesis chapter 3 where it says that the voice of the Lord was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now we have Abram hiding out in his tent in the heat of the day. Can you see the parallel yet the difference? Can you see the connection? And also what is interesting is when you look at the Aramaic word for the voice of the Lord, it is the word memra, where here they are in this place called mamra. Very similar. And so this morning I explained to you that from the book of Genesis chapter 3, where it says that I heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden. A voice does not walk. And I explained to you that what that actually means in the ancient Aramaic is the word voice translated in our English Bibles should actually be the word word. The, he, the Greek equivalent being the word logos. So in other words, it should read that it was, I heard the word of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The word being Jesus Christ. And so here in this tent, under the trees of Mamre, he was sitting in the tent in the heat of the day. And so he lifted his eyes and he looked and behold, three men were standing by him. I've explained this to you on many different occasions, the misconceptions about angels. Angels in the Bible are referred to as being men. They looked like men. They were not these big men with large wings. When angels as messengers appeared, they looked like men. What we do read about when we talk about the angelic beings in the heavenly realm, we talk about the seraphim and we talk about the cherubim. But examples of angelic beings or creatures, and it's these creatures that we read about in many parts of the Bible where it talks about the fact that they are covered in wings, covered in eyes. It almost appears that some of them are spinning, contour. It's, it's things that we cannot comprehend with our minds. Because we are actually trying to describe creatures that exist in a dimension that is higher than our dimension. 
This is why it seems so strange. It would be the equivalent of, per, of a person, a two-dimensional person living on a flat plane, a two-dimensional plane, having to describe us. Because a person living on a flat plane, if we were to look up, they would just see a dot that becomes a line, and the line becomes wider, the circumference of our head, until we sort of go back down again, and then it shrinks and it goes back to a dot and then it disappears. Why? Because on a flat plane, you can only move side to side. You cannot go up and down. So if you were to have, for example, like we would have, let's say I have a box, a square box, and inside of the box I put a ball. As a three-dimensional object being in a three-dimensional world and you being a three-dimensional being, you are able to walk up to the box and look inside and see there is a ball inside. If you live as a two-dimensional being on a two-dimensional plane, you are only able to see a line. That is going to be the end of the box it's going to be a line that's all you would be oblivious to the fact that it's a box you will be oblivious to the fact that there is a ball a sphere inside of the void of the box i'm trying to explain this to you very plainly in trying to wrap our heads around that which is something that is on a higher dimension than where we are i mean i love the the study of what is referred to as quantum mechanics, quantum physics. I've researched that for many years and it's really incredible when we begin to understand even what the fourth dimension is. Even Einstein that theorized that the fourth dimension is a place where time is absent and eternity reigns. It's incredible. Coming back to our text, let me read from verse 2. So he, Abraham, lifted his eyes and he looked. And behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. And he said, my Lord, if you have now found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by in so as much as you have come to your servant. I want you to highlight the word servant. Because in a moment, the servant is going to become a friend of God. In Genesis 18, that which we just read. A lot of fascinating things happen. But I want us just to once again understand that number one, he stood once more before the Lord. The Lord appeared to him. He stood physically before the Lord. And once more, the reason why we can attribute this person to being the Lord is first of all, the Bible says the Lord. But how do we particularly know that it was Christ and not a theophany? as some people would say. Why do we know it's a Christophany? It is because of this, is that Jesus Christ is simply the only image of the invisible God. 
He is the sole expression of God's glory. He is the only one with the image, as I shared with you this morning, from the book of Genesis chapter 1. Also, what is fascinating is that God could have simply sent His angels as messengers. He could have just sent the two messengers. Like He sent the one messenger to Mary. Like He sent the one messenger to Joseph. Like He sent the one messenger you know, to many other accounts, even in the book of Acts. He not only sent two angels, he chose to involve himself. By appearing to Abraham, in essence, for the third time. Only this time, along with two other angels. Something which is interesting to note is that Abraham and Sarah did not just host angels that day, but they hosted the Lord. And also, it brings us to Hebrews 13, verse 2, which says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. And so when Abraham met the three men, he was being hospitable to them based on the custom of the day. However, when he greets the one, the one of the three, he reveals something intimate. He reveals that he is well acquainted with one of the three. There is a very famous classic Bible dictionary, which is the one called the Jamison, Fawcett and Brown's commentary, that shows that if an ordinary person comes to visit, the host will simply stand up and greet him. However... If someone of a superior rank, quote unquote, or someone whom you are well acquainted with, aka a friend. So either it's someone of a superior rank or it's someone that you are well acquainted with, a friend that you are happy to be reunited with. What happens is you will then get up and advance towards that person. It makes sense. If you have not seen a loved one in quite some time, when you see them and recognize them from afar, you're not just going to sit and just say, hey, hello, I'm here in the tent. You're going to get up, you're going to advance towards that person, and you're going to greet that person properly. You're going to welcome them. But here in this particular instance, we have Abraham doing both. He runs out to meet him like you would a friend, but then he bows down to him, revealing that he is not just a friend or considered someone he is well acquainted with, but he still has that reverence and awe of him. There is something really powerful and profound we can learn from that as an example when it comes to the topic of familiarity. Where on the one side, you know, there is, I'm well acquainted. Because there are certain pastors, and I've got nothing wrong with that approach, where they completely, totally and utterly separate themselves from the congregation because they do not want to even have any ability of any form of familiarity to set. And I understand their reasoning for doing that. However, what I have come to see is that when Abraham was well acquainted with the Lord, there was them being acquainted, a connection, intimacy. 
yet at the same time, in the same setting, he could bestow honor where honor was due. Having that reverential fear of the Lord, respect, reverence for who he is and for what he carries. In John 8 and verse 56, in the ESV it says it this way. Jesus says that your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. This is something rather profound. Jesus is making an extremely profound statement. He says, Abraham saw the day of the Lord. Abraham saw this day. He saw it and was glad. He was looking forward to this day. We also read about the fact that he had this It was a bittersweet moment because as much as he saw it, he could not be there when it was going to happen. It was bittersweet. But he saw it. He rejoiced. He was glad. Then Galatians chapter 3 verse 8. Listen to this. Because here is the interpretation of that scripture from the word of God. Galatians 3 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. That speaks of us. Listen to these words. Preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. What did Jesus do? He preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. How do we know it was Jesus? Because Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad because it was shared with him. Jesus opened it up to him. And so the Bible reveals in Galatians 3.8 that Abraham was the first recipient of the fullness of the gospel being preached to him. Think about that. Think about how powerful it is where Abraham is the recipient of the gospel. That God would justify and graft in the Gentiles into a covenant that far surpasses the covenant that he had made with his people in the Old Testament. It's incredible. And isn't it also incredible to, to understand that when Jesus was being confronted about Abraham when he said this and then they said listen how can you say you've been with Abraham and then he says this he says that before Abraham was I am before Abraham was I am now just hold on for a second there what is so incredible is that when you read that in the English it makes no sense when you read that in the Hebrew it makes perfect sense Because in English, if we were just to read that face value, we would not say, I am. But what is incredible is the fact that he's not referring to it from the past tense. He's saying, I am. Because he identifies himself as being the eternal I am. Not only is he saying that, listen, I was there. Not only is he confessing to the fact that, hey, I was there. 
In fact, before Abraham even was, I am. He is revealing himself to be God. The I am. That is the intimate name of God. I am. You can also just make a note of this scripture, Isaiah 46.10, which basically deals with the fact that God is one who is able to see the end from the beginning. Because sometimes people would say, well, how is it possible? Well, God knows everything. How is it possible that Jesus could have preached? Uh, is, is Jesus not God? You know, it's, listening to some Christians, it's almost like, they actually fit into the category that belongs to unbelievers, heathen. Where they try and discredit the word of God. They try and discredit who God is, who Christ is, and all that he has accomplished. And then going a little bit further. What is so incredible is looking at the scriptural references to Abraham being referred to as a friend of God. I shared with you this morning, without getting into all of those scriptures, you can go and find it. It's, it's there. Quick Google search, you'll find all of it. Many people believe that Moses was also referred to as a friend of God. However, it's not true. There's only one person in the Bible that God himself refers to as a friend of God, and that's Abraham. So well, how is it that people erroneously believe that it was Moses? Well, because the Bible says that God spoke to Moses as a friend would face to face. It does not say that Moses was a friend. It says like a friend. It's a difference. It's not to say that he can own that as a title, own that as a position, a function. Like the relationship has really gone there. So, hey, you can debate that. However, when it comes to Abraham, it is three separate occasions. It is clearly stated that Abraham is a friend of God. With Moses, it's like open to interpretation. With Abraham, it's specifically mentioned a friend of God. In light of that progression, listen to the words of Jesus in John 15 and verse 15 he says to his disciples I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business instead I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have now made known to you Remember where we left things off in Genesis 18. That last part of verse 5. After that you may pass by inasmuch so you have come to your servant. But Jesus makes this very clear. He says to the disciples, this is towards the end. He says to them, listen, behold, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant doesn't know what the master is doing. The servant doesn't understand. The master is not going to elaborate. 
as to why certain instructions are given, as to why this needs to happen and why this is important and why this is more important than that or this. But a friend does. A friend knows because there is a heart connection. And then that is the reason why Jesus says, listen, I no longer call you servants. Behold, I call you friends. Just the previous verse, verse 14, reveals how we become a friend to Jesus by beholding His commandments. What is His commandment? He said, a new commandment I give you is that you will love one another as I have loved you. It's love. Unconditional love. Unadulterated love. A unity that should exist between every single one who has been grafted in to the body of Christ. That there should be that perfect union and inflowing and outflowing of His love in perfect harmony and in perfect unity in His body. That's at least the ideal expectation. And so the progression is very clearly made from servant to friend. Now where did this progression take place? when it comes to the life of Abraham. Let's quickly have a look at this. In Genesis chapter 18. This is now after they have eaten, after they partook of the meal. We read about the two angels who walked on ahead. To where? To Sodom and Gomorrah. Now we know that these two were angels because these are the two angels that we later read about that Lot is having to protect with his life because of the men in those cities that are just totally and utterly deceived, to put it mildly, overcome by a terrible spirit. And so we know that these two were angels. They were the two angels who went to Lot. But now the one who remains in his interactions with Abraham, he constantly refers to him as Lord. And this is once more why we know, if we needed more evidence, that he is Jesus. And so there is this incredible situation that takes place. Where they sort of walk, and you can imagine them seeing Sodom and Gomorrah possibly right there on the horizon. And as they walk, Jesus is thinking out loud. He is having a thought, but he's sort of verbalizing this thought to himself. You know, I just love the way that the Bible actually shares these things with us. Verse 17. Genesis 18 and verse 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am going to do? Question mark. He was sort of asking himself, Should I tell him? Should I not tell him? Must I tell him? Must I not tell him? And what is interesting is that when we read this on various different levels and different Bible translations, even the Amplified, 
is that it actually has in the brackets, it refers to that scripture that we just read, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8. So in other words, that which Jesus wanted to tell him was not just in relation to Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was at that moment, it was at that moment, although the Bible doesn't go into the detail as to that, we later read about it where Jesus talks about that which happened. And what is also interesting, just for the sake of just putting a footnote in there, just, did you know? Hashtag. What Jesus references pertaining to his ministry to Abraham is not something that is ever read or ever recorded or shared in the Hebrew text. It's not written in the Torah. It's not written in the Tanakh. It's nowhere to be found in the Hebrew texts whatsoever. So in other words, it speaks of the fact that Jesus had intimate knowledge of this. He didn't just hear about this. He was personally involved in that because he says, listen, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. He was glad when he saw it. He understood. And then the Bible makes it clear that the gospel was preached to him beforehand. And so the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah is not just only what Jesus is wanting to actually reveal to Abraham. But what happens in that setting is he's taking that moment, that opportunity to preach the good news, the gospel to him. And behold, the question he asks, shall I tell him? Shall I open up his eyes? Shall I tell him? It's almost like Jesus just, has to tell him. <laughs> He's like, you know, I, please don't misinterpret. I'm not equating this kind of emotion to Jesus, but I'm just thinking if that was me. You know, have you ever tried holding a secret for just three days or one week? Imagine for thousands of years. I mean, this is what we read. Jesus, shall I tell him? Shall I, you know, shall I, shall I not? Shall I, shall I not? I find that fascinating. Where Jesus is having this discussion with himself. Shall I tell him? I wonder. Yes, I'm going to tell him. And he has this conversation. He shares the gospel. And it is there where that shift takes place. Because remember, Jesus reveals later to his disciples. Behold, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant doesn't know what the master is doing. Behold, I call you friend. Because he opened his eyes by means of sharing that revelation, Abraham's relationship with him went to that next level. From just being servant. Servant. Friend. And what is incredible is this. In light of Jesus' definition of a friend, we see that the Lord shifts his relationship with Abraham from merely being a servant to becoming his friend. As we read and found that a servant does not know what his father's business entails. Still a friend knows what the other is thinking and doing. This is why many people would say, you know, we're such good friends, we can literally complete one another's sentences. That's being very close, well acquainted with that person. And so may I go as far as to suggest that friends 
can even then be allowed to become part of one another's decision-making process. What do I mean by that? Look at the exchange that took place after that. The progression from servant to friend. Jesus also reveals to him the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah and immediately he thinks like, this cannot be. And so he all of a sudden has this boldness that comes. But Lord, you know, if there are so many righteous people, will you destroy? You know, first of all, he's like very, 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 yeah, very, very, well, he's very, what's the word? Versichtig. Cautious. That's the word in English. Very cautious. Treads very lightly. But you can read, if you read the entire progression of that, he, he gets much more, much more casual in his exchange. You know, where first of all, you know, he, he speaks so eloquently. But then later, you know, it goes just like this. But, how, but, but what about this? But what about that? Okay, but, yeah, but, but what about this? But what about that? And then Jesus just says to him, well, even then I would not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. If you actually read all of that, the progression is fascinating. It's powerful. And it reveals the progression in the relationship from mere servant to friend. Now, please note, I'm not at all suggesting that we become friends buddy-buddy with God. Or even with men of God. Not at all. But what I'm wanting to really highlight is this, is this dealing with this religious construct that somehow God is up there. He's just God. And that He's unapproachable as a result of that. But even through the new covenant, we have gone even beyond just the realm of friend to becoming sons. We are not just a friend of God. There's nothing wrong in those who would say, I'm a friend of God. Please, churches have been split because of that. You know, there are some who say, we are servants of God. Yes, you're right. Then there's other, no, no, we're not servants, we're friends of God. Yes, you're right, just calm down. And then there's other, no, we're not friends. We're sons of God. Just have a panado, just calm down. And then there's others, you know, we are no longer just sons of God. No, we're the bride of Christ. Yes, you're right. Everyone is actually right. Oh, but people just love to, like, you know, that is divare. Reject everything else and accept and hold on to only this truth. I'll tell you, we laugh about this. We know how many churches have split because of that. You know how many Facebook fights are happening right now because of that. How dare you say friend of God? Don't you know that we are sons of God? Yes, I know that. Whoop-de-doo. But I want to highlight this as well when we talk about the servants of God. In Amos chapter 3, you would know this so well, verse 7. It says that the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing His plan to His servants the prophets is understanding then that even the prophets of God 
in essence, only still from that particular perspective have limited access because they only have access to that which God wills as to what He wants to reveal. But to those who've become friends, even more as to the inner workings are revealed. In Hebrews 11 and verse 13, You could just make a note of that. I want to make this statement. Is that prophets are referred to as servants, not as friends, according to Amos 3 verse 7. Just looking at that from that perspective, from that setting in the Old Testament. Although God revealed incredible things to the prophets, Abraham received the full measure of the revelation concerning, concerning the mystery of the ages beforehand. Whereas the prophets, Hebrews eleven thirteen, did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They had to be satisfied with types and shadows. And as I told you this morning, a shadow tells you that, hey, there is something that is substantial, that is real, beyond just the shadow. So I said to you this morning, if you see the shadow of a plane, immediately you're going to look up in search of the actual plane because you can see the, the shadow that it casts. You know, I'll add such a laugh. As we were driving home this afternoon, as we were driving, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, a plane went over. I like actual illustration of the message that I shared this morning. But when you see the shadow of the plane and you recognize that shadow, you immediately look up because you are looking for the real deal. And so the Bible says that the prophets who, who were prophesying about all these things that were about to happen. Remember Jesus said to the Pharisees that you search the scriptures thinking that you're going to find eternal life. Yet you do not realize that all of scripture referred to me. Jesus said that he came to fulfill all of that which was written about him in the law of Moses. In the Psalms. Everything that was written about him had to be fulfilled and he did so. But the prophets who were prophesying were prophesying in part. Even Paul, towards the end of his ministry, says, Listen, we prophesy in part. But one day we will see the full picture. We already have a far greater, fuller picture than they had. And so the question therefore comes is that if it was that we read about these men and women in the early stages of Christianity, the first few centuries, reading how they were tortured, how they were executed, how they were killed for sport in the Colosseum and many other places, for sport, being torn apart by wild beasts, being crucified, being thrown into, into an arena with you know a wooden sword against actual gladiators, to be cut open, split apart just for fun. Just because they dared to call themselves and identify as a Christian. On what we now from today's perspective can say on a morsel of the revelation. On a pinch of the revelation. 
the fullness of the gospel. Where we have it all. Back then they would still refer to things as types and shadows, the mystery of the ages. But it has been revealed. In light of all that I've shared with you, when will you settle it within yourself as to what you believe? When will you truly believe that this is truly God's word? That this could not have been made by the hands of man. Understanding all of the how many authors there might be, that's up for debate. But it's not just one, not just two, not 10, not 20, not 30, not 50. More authors. Living across different regions, different languages, different centuries, different millennia. And it all ties in together like the perfect puzzle with a single golden thread running all the way through it from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I mean, there's things I can share with you. Just looking at the first two chapters of Genesis, looking at and comparing that to the last two chapters of Revelation. I'm telling you, that in itself is going to cause you to, I mean, it's going to, it's going to cause a reaction, okay? But here's the question, how much more of this do you need before you settle it within yourself that truly this is God's word? That God is who he says he is. That I take him at his word. How much more evidence do you need? How much more convincing do you need before you will say that, you know what, this is God's word. If God has says it, I believe it. That settles it. I pray that even this message as this morning would stir up your faith, but stir up an appetite for you to truly begin to devour His Word. You know what the Hebrews, the Jews do with their children is that they actually as they read from scripture, they eat honey cakes. Because there's an association that has to come from reading this is equal to it being nourishment and also something that is a treat and it is sweet. And so even with Chantal's Bible that she uses, I mean, you should smell that. If you open it up, it's, it's like filled with perfume. So it's, it's, it's like this fragrance that comes. It's, it's so exquisite to open it up because you just hit with this aroma. But that is what we need to get into. Let me just stun you with this, if we haven't already, with the Word of God. As I said, these individuals who are servants did not receive the things promised they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance hebrews 11:13 jesus echoes the statement in matthew 13 verse 17 when he said that many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it and finally 1 peter 1:12 1 peter 1 and verse 12. You got it there, Christo? 
me read this to you. Unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto as they did minister the things, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, listen, which things the angels desire to look into. Even the angels at the time of writing were desiring, they were standing. It's like they were looking at the scribes. This is almost the way that I can see it. You know, as Paul was there in chains, dictating to his physician and his scribe, Luke, to pin down his words. It's almost what I can see in the realm of the Spirit is these angels looking over Luke. Like, what is he writing? Let me just get this. Let me just get... Because the angels are longing. They desire to look into this. And if you compare this to even that which I read about right here, this is just the prelude to 90 days of dominion. If you read that, you can actually read just a glimpse of the eternal purpose of God according to the book of Ephesians. Because what it's actually all about is to put to shame the principalities and rulers of darkness. That's what this is all about. And I lost a tant at this call. But even angels long to look into these things. And you know what's so sad is the Bible on many people's, call it desk, shelf, whatever you want, collecting dust. Where even angels desired to look into this, anticipating the fuller revelation, the fuller picture as we draw nearer and nearer, closer and closer to the absolute consummation of all things. In Christ, through Christ, from Christ, and unto Christ. That's what we're heading towards. And so I pray that every single one of us will put a priority on God's Word. That we will value the words that have been written. For His Word is the truth. His words contain life. And all who hear the truth, Jesus revealed, will be set free. And so, Father, I thank you for freedom that belongs to all who are in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you that you have established for us a better covenant based on better promises. We say this so many times, yet... Even tonight, we ponder on whether or not we truly understand the fullness, the absolute extent of that sentence and declaration. Father, I pray that you would stir up on the inside of everyone here and everyone listening a desire, a hunger for the things of God. That they will begin to consume your word. To be equipped. To be empowered. And emboldened by your spirit. To do great and mighty exploits. As we advance your kingdom. 
in even new, exciting ways. Father, I pray that your spirit would come afresh upon every single one. I come against the spirit of religion and tradition that have kept so many bound, that have restricted you from entering into the fullness of the revelation, the gospel, the kingdom of heaven. Let every hindrance and every restriction lift now in Jesus' name. That you may step into the fullness of this reality. That it will become revelation to you. And that all of a sudden life will begin to be so much different. As you walk in perpetual breakthrough and victory. As you truly begin to take God at His word. That you would see the manifestation of that which God spoke unto Joshua. That when you meditate on my word day and night. And not depart from it to the left or to the right. That I will make your way prosperous. And that you will have good success. That you have said in your word in Deuteronomy 28. That if we fully obey the voice of the Lord our God that you will cause us and make us to be the head and not the tail above and not beneath that we are blessed in the city blessed in the field blessed going in and blessed coming out that wherever we go we are blessed and highly favored of God I thank you that that is our portion that is our reality for that is our revelation in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you'd like to help Kevin and Chantel reach and impact this generation, thank you in advance for sharing this episode with your world. If you have enjoyed Dominion today, follow Kevin and Chantel on Instagram, Facebook, and your favorite podcast platform, or connect with them online at dominion.org.za.